This episode of the Flush Podcast is brought to you by Waltons, Aluma Trailers, Sound Gear, Onyx Hunt, and by Nutrisource Pet Foods. Today, we've got the band back together, so to speak. Ron Shera, Bill Shirk, and Scott Franzen are joining me to kick off a new season of the Flush Television Show, airing right now on the Outdoor Channel. We'll share some of our favorite moments from this past season, answer a few questions from you, our listeners, and look ahead to the next hunting season coming right up. There you go. Make sure to put that in there. Wee. How does it go, Scott? Trying to steal the show. He tries. He tries. Yeah. You can cut that out. <laughs> okay, here we go, boys. Welcome to another episode of the Flush Podcast. I'm Travis Frank. I'm your host, Brandon Martin. Sitting across from me is our producer. He's the one that makes it seem like we're professionals and we know what we're doing. He makes us sound good anyway. Uh, to my right, Mr. Ron Shera. To my left, Bill Shirk and Scott Franzen. Gentlemen. Hey, we got to wait for the drum roll when you, when you the cheer, the crowd cheering them. If you mention my hit name. It. Hit it. Try a button. Try it. Got to turn it up a, a little louder. There it is. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, ladies and gentlemen. Wow. Thank you very Thank you. <laughs> That's just for Ron's introduction. Right. Oh, you get a lot of big introductions when you come up on stage. Any of the wah-wah-wahs? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's usually, usually when they five leave. Minutes, I was right. say, that's when he leaves the stage. <laughs> they anyway, talk too long. okay, okay, all right. Let's get right to it. Hey, guys, another season. It's on the air. It's officially happened. We did it again. Made it through. We made it through. And it's, you know, we're sitting here talking because we all get to be in front of the camera, but obviously none of this really happens without the rest of the team in the back there. But uh, I think today we're just going to pat ourselves on the back a little bit because we made it through another year. Uh, talk about some of the things that, you enjoyed that you learned that you didn't like from the last hunting season. Uh, we got a couple of listener questions, um, and then we'll we'll look ahead into next year. Does that sound good? Sounds great. Yeah. Perfect. I I this Scott, this will be right up your alley. I talked to uh, Mike Jensen over at North Dakota last week, mm-hmm. and he was so optimistic about <laughs> the 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 just the sheer difference in the landscape from last year at this time. He said their water index is up 660% from oh last gosh. year, which obviously, you know, that's last year being down. So water's up. He also said that their uh, the waterfall numbers are up 16% from last year, which was up from the long-term average. So they're up 38%. So if you're a waterfall hunter that likes to upland hunt in North Dakota, be optimistic and be very, be very optimistic. Right. Nesting season was phenomenal. So he's really, really excited. Most of the state, not all of it. There's a couple little pockets as usual, but um, you, you love to go up there just like I do. I mean, you, you and I spend time up there when the cameras aren't on. And uh, so it's an exciting, I, I just feel like in the Midwest here for sure, there's, we'll, we'll start getting into uh, state-by-state breakdowns moving forward closer to hunting season, but I just thought I'd get you a little excited because well, I, I am too. To be honest, I, I had been kind of watching the moisture in, in the Dakotas, in particular North Dakota and eastern Montana as well, and reports so far have been very positive. Now, if they can just get the occasional rain and things like that, it, it could be a really, really good season. Yeah, I talked to a couple people in uh, – 
<clears throat> South Dakota recently too, and they they did the you know like quotes air quotes special, you know like this special, could yep, be yep. one of those special years because didn't have a winter that really hurt anything. Right. Um, even though the drought was so severe last year, uh, there's still a lot of hens, and now the nesting conditions have been close to ideal for Good. a lot of those birds. So. We'll find out coming up here in the next few weeks what those numbers are looking like. And I've got people in the in the hopper, I guess we'll say, as to uh, experts on the ground. Boots on the ground, Ron. I Just thought like we were you. talking about our upcoming season. <laughs> we'll get there. We'll get I, there. Did I miss something we'll here? We'll get there. Because suddenly it's the damn weather forecast we're going into. <laughs> people are excited about good news. I'm trying to deliver good news. We'll do it at a different time. I think Ron's hangry. <laughs> I know. <laughs> My goodness. Of which, when does our lunch get here? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> what's, wow. what's, what's up your crowd? Bill, what's can got... you lead this conversation by chance? <laughs> nope. I'm just going to sit and listen. Gladly. <laughs> I heard you're training for, Ron, I heard you're training for the ptarmigan hunt in the mountains of Colorado this year. Is it true? It's not true. (laughs) What are you training for? There are no ptarmigan in Colorado to begin with. Well, (laughs) tune in to this season. (laughs) And you'll see that there's none there. Yeah, Yeah, don't give it away. That was another great idea of yours, Travis. But anyway. I've watched that show multiple times, and that might be no no offense to any of the productions you guys have put out there but cowboy troy nailed it and it is it is a sight to behold the the footage from 14,000 feet above sea level is i can't breathe <laughs> yeah it it hurt it really hurt i mean that was part of the ugly that i wanted to talk about for my season it really actually you know, like if you, when you're hunting, so, okay, let me sort of set the stage here, Ron. So we shouldn't call it the flush. We should call it the view. The view. <laughs> oh, wait, that's already taken. Yeah. Well, all right. Who invited him? Oh, he is on a roll <laughs> I today. Know. Actually, did you invite him? Because I don't remember. Well, when he puts in an honest day's work, he gets a little crabby. I haven't, se- I haven't seen you in like three weeks and you come in here just. Just telling it like it is. <laughs> It's Howie an adventure. Costa. It's an, a real adventure. I'm sure it's wonderful, Travis. Yeah, Let's yeah. move on. <laughs> okay, so you're not training. <laughs> no. <laughs> oh. All right, all right, all right. Let's get right into it. So, um, Scott, actually, you do train. I do train. Yeah, what does your training look like? Train for what? Well, yourself and, and your dog, yeah. Oh, well, besides the 12-ounce curls? Yeah. Uh, oh, I do. I do the, we don't need to talk about that, Travis. People care about oh, for, it though, for my dogs. Okay, so so for for Millie in the summer season, we do a lot of swimming, you know. And if it's cool enough, I do, um, you know, kind of morning uh, retrieves, different types of retrieves, and then afternoon, evening, more swimming and things like that. And then just let her be a dog yeah. and have some fun. And then it gradually ramps up a little bit more as we get closer to uh, hunting season in fall. You got a pretty pretty strict. Workout though that you do year round does it ramp up towards hunting season? Um, n- no, I try and keep it. I just try and keep it consistent. What tends to happen is during hunting season, it goes away or becomes less frequent. And then, um, as much as we walk, I still end up putting on the old lbs uh, <laughs> during, the, during the hunting season. Bill and I, we've got kids that we chase around and coach and sports, so we're uh, we're automatically covered. Our training is, <laughs> yeah, is right. year round as well. So, all right, fine. Let's get into it. Let's uh, let's see where are we at here. All right. <clears throat> so, how about this? 
let's go in in a circle here and we'll talk about some of the episodes that you produced where you went what we can what viewers can look forward to seeing this coming season as the shows each week uh, start to air uh, the good the bad the ugly things that you learn from it um, bill let's let's start with you um, Grand Marais, Florida, two complete polar opposites. Yep. Literally. <laughs> Literally, yes, exactly. Yeah, I got to drink the most expensive rum of my life, uh, which was pretty amazing. Uh, starting in Florida, let's start down there. Okay. Um, we went down to visit an old fishing mentor of mine, a guy by the name of Flip Pallet, who is well-known in these yeah. circles. Absolutely. And we're in Titusville, first night sitting in his backyard around a fire he's part of a rum company now called frigate rum and we're sipping on this stuff and i thought gosh this is pretty good and i look at photographer aaron and he's into like his third glass (laughs) (laughs) he's like gosh this is pretty good and my old fishing hunting buddy todd fuller leans over and says yeah it's 150 bucks a bottle (laughs) (laughs) oh my goodness I said, don't worry, he can get more. It's his company. So so we had a little fun planning for a hunt about a little bird you might have heard of called a snipe. Ryan's been on plenty of those hunts. Oh, yeah. yeah. My high school prom, I went snipe on. <laughs> and? And got skunked. <laughs> hey, just like that ptarmigan hunt in Colorado. Yeah. You haven't even watched it yet. I can't wait. <laughs> snipe are legit. And an unbelievably incredible upland resource that five people in this country take part of, right? Like, it is an absolute hunt that people are missing. So when it's cold and snowy in the Midwest, guess what? Hop a flight down to the sunny warmth of Florida. They call it the sunshine state. Truth be told, five days down there, didn't see the sun one time, but maybe we saw birds. Yeah, I heard he saw a lot, a lot, a lot of birds. How about um, the, like the hunt itself? I yep. mean, kind of explain what that was actually like. I mean, they'll see it, well, but it was you, a are you in foggy. water? Just next day, we were a little cloudy. Well, after the rum, but yeah. No <laughs> wonder the footage is all blurry. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah, talk to Aaron about uh, that. Did you guys get any rum, by the way? I didn't, I didn't get, any get any rum. Any rum. No, I. I, I I'll look again. It's still coming, <laughs> I think. Right, Bill? Yes. I haven't checked my mailbox. Well, I'll, get, I'll get you some rum. Yeah, <laughs> oh, I've heard about that. Yeah. I'm still waiting for my Tito's from all of you. Uh, what's... Brandon, be ready on the button bar. Anytime Ron speaks, you can just hit something. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We were hunting along a river, and the only way to get back there is with airboats. You know, the big propellers on the back of which um, Johnny and Flip both said to us, hey, gloves, hats, bracelets, anything that might get loose, make sure it doesn't because those carbon fiber, carbon fiber props in back mm-hmm. are thousands and thousands wow. of dollars. Whoa. And anything that touches them will cause an explosion like you've never seen. So, so I just kind of huddled right in this airboat, but you go back on these flats, which are eternal. They never end. 
and you're zipping around and there are birds flying over there and there are birds flying over there and over there and pretty soon they say, this looks like a good spot and you get out and you walk two miles of a flat along the river. Are you in water when you're walking? Yes. You need a good pair of rubber boots. Um, shameless plug. I don't know if I'm allowed to do this or not, but I had Thurgood boots, which were well broken in. I mean, I had had them in my possession for like, six hours before the hunt so i put these new boots on and we walk mile after mile after mile and those birds are in to feed right they've got long beaks they're a shore bird they're all juicy buds they've come down from the east coast and they're using those beaks to get at the worms in that soft mud uh, along the river we actually had rain while we were there so areas that were dry the next day were wet. Guess where all the birds had transitioned. Did you need, were rubber boots enough? You never yes. needed anything higher than nope. that? Okay. Nope. Some of the guys have these leather snake boots that are waterproof, but rubber boots are just perfect. You know, most of the time the water is two inches deep, one inch. And what about snakes? You know? I was going to say, how many snakes? snakes did you see? <laughs> we saw a snake. A snake. Okay. I was scared to death. It was dead. <laughs> <laughs> so just the way I like them. <laughs> yeah. But that time of year, they're hibernating. Oh. They're down. And thank goodness our weather was kind of 60s, cloudy, and rain, so zero snakes. But, you know, their version of cattails, we'll let you watch the episode to fully understand, but I'm in this stuff, busting my chops, and I come to this small little opening, probably six feet across, and it's just this flat clump of grass. And here is this monstrous snake carcass just sitting in the middle. So I had to stop, and I had that Willie's moment for about <laughs> 10 seconds where I'm just shaking. And, um, no gators? Something had got to it. Gators were there, but they stay down in that cool. They just hang out on the bottom. They don't want to come up and sun in the cold, so... So what's the limit of snipe? Uh, did you get a limit or it didn't matter? But we didn't I mean, quite get to a limit. Um, what is the limit? Oh, remember? What are you doing? I think it's eight birds a guy, something like that. Um, did you eat any of them? We ate a lot of snipe, and they're incredibly good. Even though they eat worms and stuff? Yeah. Mm -hmm. What would it compare to? Loon. <laughs> <laughs> Eagle. <laughs> I thought they tasted a, a lot like a spruce grouse. Oh, really? Not like a woodcock? Not like a woodcock. So a dark red meat? Yeah, it just, it tasted like a spruce, a little bit of that liver taste, mm -hmm. but just wonderful. And how we cooked them, I'm going to make you watch the episode, and where we cooked them, holy cow. Um, the other highlight of that trip for me um, was something called gator soup which is made with chunks of gator and palm hearts. Heart of palm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Which they call swamp cabbage. So it's called swamp cabbage soup down there. It's one of the finest delicacies you will ever partake in. Dang. And the so. gator's not chewy? No. Chicken. Have you ever it's had like it? Chicken. It's got, have you ever had alligator? No. Uh -uh. It's, it's kind of like, I, I, I'm sure it's different parts of the gator have a different texture, but when I had it, course it was just deep fried like anything it tastes kind of like chicken but it it, it Actually, was a little I did rubbery have it deep fried it was yeah, a little that's rubbery. why i asked it was a little rubbery yeah, yeah. 
but it tasted the flavor. Because yours wasn't organic. Sure, sure. <laughs> it wasn't free range. All right, enough about that. Hunt. <laughs> okay. We've only got 30 other hunts to cover. So, yeah, that was amazing. And watch for the episode. Yeah. And you're going to want to book a flight to hunt snipe. Okay. And uh, Grand Marais, opposite end of the spectrum, mm -hmm. far northern Minnesota, darn near up on the Canadian border, hunting grouse and woodcock with a couple old friends of mine. And holy cow, was that hunt full of surprises! Care to give any away? I know you got to watch, but oh, geez, yeah. Uh, Can I? Sure. There's a great dog story. In it this is. Show. It's an unbelievable dog story. That, Seven that, lives, Ike. Yep. Seven lives. Lives like, you know, there are these dogs that just change you, and Ike is that dog for me. I, w I remember when I was watching it, I was just like, oh, what happens next? And then, oh, really? And then wolves? Like, there's just a lot of twists and turns to it. I mean, obviously, you guys ran into a lot of birds, which is yep. great, but I think this that goes back to something that you guys started before I even came to this company. And, Ron, you started this when you founded the company was that, storytelling was at the heart of every adventure that you would go on every every episode no matter what tv show that you were producing it was about the story and therefore you could go into the mountains of colorado or in the swamps of florida and not come out with a bird and have an unbelievable story to tell and i feel like you know I'm, i know your florida snipe hunt is is going to take us on a great journey bill um, i watched the Grammaray Grouse and like Scott said, just captivated because mm -hmm. of these dogs and what yep. they have gone through and the story. And <clears throat> I hope that uh, I hope that the viewers enjoy that just as much. I, I think the feedback that we continue to get from from viewers of the TV show they like that adventure side of it, but they like that there's a story involved as well. And we try to be as real as possible. So I think you're going to get that again this season. Ron, how about you, do you have any stories from your hunts last year that you want to share? Well, uh, one of my uh, episodes is uh, going to Kansas. Uh, the Jayhawks down there don't attack any dogs, so I didn't have that problem. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, this story was, or this hunt and story, uh, was about an organization in Kansas that is up and coming. They're moving uh, into Iowa as well. It's It's an organization that introduces kids to hunting and fishing. And often they are, I don't want to say disadvantaged kids, but, but maybe kids with no dads, but there's no requirements. Anybody? Kids that don't have the opportunity to hunt. Yeah. And um, um, anyway, so they put on uh, like 400 hunts a year for these kids wow. and et cetera. Um, now I was concerned about doing the story because we had, Three days, and we're going to be with three different groups of kids. If you, as you understand in television, this makes it very awkward to try to uh, write to some of this. Um, but I'd, um, uh, what was interesting is that uh, the kids were into it. Um, some had been on other hunts before. They all had their firearm safety training. They all were very conscientious. Um, uh, some of the shooting wasn't so good, including my own. Um, but that's okay too. But we're, but the folks who operate 
this organization, Pass It On Outdoor Mentors. Um, uh, very inspiring of, of themselves. And uh, like 20 years ago, uh, interesting story how it got started. And so we, ca we tried to capture uh, kids, some cases kids discovering something they'd never done before. Um, others coming back to something they've done before because they, they like to do it. We got some of the kids telling their stories. Um, some were very interesting. We had uh, a young lady who, uh, I won't spoil it, for, but she, she had quite a story to tell and uh, also went deer hunting. She got her first deer. And so <clears throat> uh, it, was, it was, oh, the other side of this is that we discovered uh, Kansas one day had a 60-mile-an-hour wind. And let me tell you. You don't uh, say. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, but it didn't start that way. It started, we started hunting in the morning with the forecast increasing winds. And by about noon, you could have leaned against the wind. And, uh, and uh, I told Aaron, the camera guy says, uh, Get some shots of these tumbling tumbleweeds. I could write to that. <laughs> that wasn't a problem. In fact, I stood in the ditch, and they come rolling at me like uh, football players. But uh, uh, never. And then we obviously quit hunting. It was just not safe to be out there, not good to be out there. And went back to town, and the motel windows just shook for hours and hours as that wind. There what were, were you doing? Trees down, trees down. Uh, what about bar stools? Were they shaking in the bar stools? <laughs> um, but it, also, we were in Dodge City, so um, great history there. Went uh, went to uh, the very famous uh, 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 Boot Hill, or no, very <laughs> well, uh, very famous uh, um, uh, graveyard, um, and where uh, there was the, the very famous sheriff from down there, and uh, I won't. I'm, Stumbling around here because I can't think of. I'm always amazed at the stuff you dig up when you travel. Yeah, stuff you find down there. Well, who does that for you? Does Kelly do that for you? No, I do that. You sure? Yeah. Well, here you want to see me shoot pheasants for 30 minutes? I mean, that gets old. You know, seen one fall, seen shoot them all. At pheasants <laughs> for 30 so, minutes. So yeah. So uh, you know, we found uh, uh, the graveyard. We found. Uh, Did you uh, find Marshall Dillon? Marshall <laughs> Dillon. We we didn't find him. We found. Kitty's uh, oh. bar, oh. Uh, and uh, Marshall Dillon's statue was there. And I went into uh, Kitty's bar, and we had a beer. There was a bartender there. It was Unbelievable. Very, yeah. It was See, these are the cool. stories people want to hear about. This. So you didn't hey, put that on if TV. You're going to if you're going to a, a pheasant, honey, it's not all about that. You can, right. you got, you're, you're part of the community. Discover some other things. So that's what I did. So that was, very, that was a good one. My other one was um, uh, uh, in... Where was it? South you were Dakota. in South Dakota hunting with some members of the Minnesota Twins. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, great weather follows me all the time. We had 35-mile-an-hour winds, snow coming sideways. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, uh, Dick Bremer, very famous voice here for Minnesota uh, Twin fans, and Caleb Thielbar, left-handed relief pitcher, joined us. Um, Both uh, big-time pheasant hunters. They are. Yes. Uh, they are, and um, enjoyed uh, visiting with them, um, and just to make you feel better, Travis, I didn't get into too much 
detail on how to pitch or stuff like that. You know, I could have. But, Did you ever uh, pitch when you were a kid? I was a catcher. You were the catcher. Yeah. I was a pitcher for a few years. You were? Yeah. <laughs> must have been good because you're not pitching anymore. <laughs> no, I, I threw my arm out in high school. Yeah, anyway, yeah. but between the weather, um, and you know, weather is a bonding moment for a hunting group uh, because you're all, it affects everybody the same way. Um, the snow stings your face. Uh, I don't care if you're rich or poor. Um, and at the end of the day, you've all faced these elements. You've all uh, got some birds, missed some birds, laughed. Um, and so it, I hate it, but it's a bonding moment uh, versus a sunny day. You don't quite have that. Uh, it's so true. It's interesting. It's true. There's not one person listening right now that hasn't gone through their own hunting experience. Even Brandon's sitting over there. Remember the water we walked through? That's not necessarily weather, but... Weather brought the water that Scott led us into. Well, he didn't know I could walk on water. <laughs> then he saw it. <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, Good boy. life, Raph. Aluma Trailers, they've got you covered. Their trailers are built by a hardworking team in Bancroft, Iowa. They have models for nearly any and every hauling need, from ATV and UTV trailers to utility, snowmobile, motorcycle, car trailers, and even fully enclosed trailers like mine. Trust me when I say Aluma trailers tow gear like a dream, and they are 100% maintenance-free. Plus, they come with an industry-best five-year warranty. Visit alumakln.com to find a trailer that fits your needs. For everything that gets you outdoors, Aluma Trailers will help you get there. Nutrisource Pet Foods just launched a new product that can give our active hunting dogs a big boost when they need it most. It's called Kombucha. Nutrisource Kombucha, inspired, of course, by kombucha, is a savory, meaty bone broth topper that's packed with activated postbiotics from a fermentation product that thrives in the gut to promote a healthy gut ecosystem for digestion support. That's a mouthful. But what it means for us bird dog owners is that we now have a healthy topper to pour over our dog's food if they're ever stressed or won't eat while on a long hunting trip. Kampucha is offered in three flavors, turkey, beef, and chicken, and comes in a 12-ounce pouch. Nutrisource high-performance dog foods provide exceptional healthy nutrition for active dogs of every breed, just like my dog, Daisy. Now they have a topper that gives our four-legged hunters another edge when they need it the most. Check out their full lineup of dog foods at NutrisourcePetFoods.com. Hey, hunters and shooters, whether you're in the field, at the range, or on the factory floor, hearing is the key to your success and safety, and you need to protect it. The all-new Phantom from Soundgear is here to help. Phantom delivers benefits no other product can. Dynamic digital noise protection for your ears. Seamless compression automatically suppresses noises at dangerous levels. Stream calls, music, or other audio wirelessly from your phone. One overnight charge keeps you powered all day long. And Phantom is custom molded to your ear and is sweat and waterproof, so it's comfortable all day. Soundgear is American-owned and operated and a proud sponsor of Pheasants Forever. Go to soundgear.com and see how Phantom or any of the other Soundgear products can change your life by protecting your hearing. That's soundgear.com. I'm assuming you ran into a few pheasants when you were in the field, Ron. Yeah, we did. Uh, we were hunting at a place called Grand Lodge uh, in Central, just a little bit east of Pier. Great spot. Um, uh, great uh, land uh, managed for pheasants, um, sorghum fields, etc. cetera. Uh, there's a mixture of wild and some release birds there, but uh, uh, it... Uh, 
was very good. And the weather changes the birds too. So um, uh, again, you're you're out there. You're dependent on this weather, just like I mentioned the Kansas stuff. Sixty mile an hour winds. I mean, who knew? Uh, never seen anything like it in my life. Um, the you're anyway. talking sustained sixty. Yeah. 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 And, um, I remember seeing some videos Aaron sent back, cell yeah, phone yeah. videos and everything. The trees looked like they were just ready to pull right out of the ground. But, it's impressive. But, but you run into that, you know. Um, if you're going to be a hunter and out and about, you can't have perfect days every every time. So you grumble. I grumbled a lot about it. Oh, my, you know. Um, was it as much as you did at the beginning of the show here? Or? That kind of grumbling? <laughs> No, I was grumbling about, uh, and no, we won't go back to that. (laughs) I just grumble for fun. Is it me? Let me grumble. Is it me or is the world just windy right now? Seems very windy. (laughs) It's been a windy spring, summer. Every hunt, every day. Every fishing day this summer, windy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I feel like, you know, when you're in bird country, you're almost always in wind country, too. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's not trees stopping it, so... um, Unless you're grou- rough grouse hunting and woodcock hunting, you're almost always going to be in the wind. And we certainly don't avoid it. I mean, we don't have a choice. When we show up to film, we're there. We just drove across country or flew in. Mm-hmm. And so, guys, we're, we're here to hunt. Let's do it. We get after it. I don't know. Sometimes I, I am with you, Ron. Sometimes I just, depending on how far into the production season, I'm just like, God dang it, this wind sucks. But sometimes it's okay to just take on the challenge, and I, I kind of enjoy the challenge sometimes. Did you guys hear that? Travis just swore for the first time ever. <laughs> it's not true. Rudy wasn't a strong swear <laughs> no, no, word no. either. I didn't, was, I didn't swear until I got my dog. Was, all I know. <laughs> I got a dog, and every fifth word is an F-bomb. Like, you, oh, my goodness. Oh, I she, thought the dog's name was Son of a Bee. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. My vocabulary, oh, it's changed since that dog has come into my life. Travis, oh, Travis the pirate. Wait till, yes. your, wait till your boys get older. I used to have a sailor's mouth back in the day. My friends in my school years know about oh that. Oh, my gosh. I can't picture little Travis <laughs> with the sailor's <laughs> Enough mouth. Enough about me. Yeah. Enough about me. Scott. Saying, well, here, let's just do this real quick. Travis you, saying darn. Shucks and golly. In and, high school, it was gosh darn it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exclamation a, point, a meme, exclamation there's point. There's a meme on the internet that I just love. It's, uh, I Explain think it's, to Ron what a meme is. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I'm not even gonna waste. I'm head. not gonna waste everybody's time, but it's one of your your buddies, Coach Bruce Boudreaux from the Minnesota Wild. Yeah, and and uh, he the the caption over the video reads, "Gosh darn." But his lips say mother beeper. You know what I'm talking about? It's great. Oh, all right. So the flush airs once again on the Outdoor Channel, and for people, we get this question a lot. When does it air and when does it go on YouTube? So I'm just going to give you the information right now. The, the show airs four times every week, Monday mornings at 10.30 a.m., Wednesday mornings at 6.30 a.m., Friday afternoons or evenings, 5.30 p.m., and Saturday mornings at 8.30 a.m. All those times are Eastern times. Uh, once we run the full season, how the network does it, we got 13 episodes. It's a season for us that we ship to the network. They air them 13 consecutive weeks. They re-air them 13 more weeks. So we start now this week and we're going to run through the end of December. Once all the episodes have aired, then we start 
uploading them and streaming them on YouTube and Scott Amazon. Mm-hmm. Yep. Amazon. Okay, yep. we're going to continue doing Amazon. Correct. Any other plans? Not well, and Wild TV in Canada. Oh yeah, that's right. If you're a Canadian listener, eh, you can watch it on Wild TV. Yep. All right, Scott. So where did you go? What did you like? What did you dislike? Does anybody really care what Scott did? All right, moving along. Yeah, you're moving right, right along right. here. That's so yes. hurtful, Ron. Okay, let, guys, yeah. Ron, let's talk about next year for you. That is so hurtful. <laughs> I have a fan out there. My wife's listening. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I did two, well, it, uh, two hunts. And in, in that uh, one was kind of planned and one was unplanned until Hank passed. And, um, and then the first hunt was in um, the third week in October in North Dakota. I went with um, two friends, Dan Berglove and Jim Wood. Jim is our, my vet, and he's also Dan's vet. And Jim connected Dan and I together for the puppies. So we had Millie, his puppy, uh, Junebug, and their mom. Lucy out on a hunt with Jim Wood. So there's kind of two stories in this show. That's the first part of the show is these, this kind of reunion between the pups and their mom and their first hunting experience. And then, um, you know, initially or originally Hank was supposed to be a part of that and obviously couldn't be a part of that. And to backtrack, I, I looked at Travis and it was about a, a year ago today where Hank started going downhill. So it's kind of a interesting, we're talking about this. Um, and then, um, just it was a coincidence where we were hunting. We were uh, near Richardson, North Dakota, and um, about a year ago, when we had released the shows on YouTube, I got a note after Ode Izzy had aired um, from a viewer in Dickinson, North Dakota, named uh, Ryan Colling. And Ryan had sent me a really, really nice note about the show and... Um, said he was thinking about me after losing Izzy and things like that. And we just stayed in touch. And he said, if, you know, it's kind of one of these things. If you're ever around Dickinson, I'd love to go hunting with you. Cause I think we hunt the same way. Um, we like to follow our dogs. Um, we hunt a lot of great plots, land, et cetera, et cetera. When I locked in this hunt and knew that you know, the distance between Richmond and Dickinson, North Dakota is about 25 miles. I sent him a note. I'm going to be, here's when I'm going to be there. Here are the windows. Are you open Wednesday to come hunting with us? We'd like to, I'd like to film with you. And I think I got the response immediately. Heck yeah. Let me just check to make sure I can get off work. Two minutes later, I'm in. And, and so we met Ryan at the gas station and had a, just a great day of hunting with him on Plotsland. Mostly he had um, one piece of private land lined up that we finished the day on, but we shot most of our birds on two different pieces of plots land. He had two wonderful Britneys that we hunted behind, and it was just a really nice um, tuck-in, I guess I would say, to this this story about the dogs. And, and having someone who's an avid viewer of the show, a fan, um, come hunting with us. It was just great. Yeah, and I think that we'll get into this in a little while here when we talk about moving forward, but <clears throat> we hunt with a lot of our viewers. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. it's, it's pretty common, and we open this up for show ideas. If you've got a great show or adventure, I, I talk about it pretty regularly on this podcast too. 
send it our way, and we don't know how it'll fit into our hunt slash production production schedule, but it sometimes might. Right. And sometimes it works out. And I, I've met some incredible people by just saying, "All right, let's let's make this work," and it, it happens, and you experience a new place and meet new new friends that stick with you. And I I don't think Ryan sent the note to get on television. I sure, think it was right. a genuine offer of, I'd like to hunt with you. And um, because we were filming, I thought it worked out well. <laughs> it was really cute as how nervous he was. He was so nervous about, you know, Meeting finding birds. Like yeah, yeah. No, well, just there's a lot of pressure birds. that, yeah, that and then, people take with their dogs on camera. And can they hit a bird? I've heard from several hunters, yes. too, that say, oh, gosh, I'm glad we got it because I've been, I've been just stressing for the last three weeks and i i i don't think i was too big a letdown <laughs> well, well i guess we'll be the we'll yeah. be the <laughs> there might have been a few moments but overall i think i think i represented the squad well yeah uh, on that note um you had your own podcast you filled in for me and you had jim on right dan dan, I had dan okay on. dan yes and the story that uh, unfolded later on is just tragic and people can go back and listen to it. Do you remember the title of it? Um, I think it was Mother Daughter Hunt, which is the name of the show. And we talked about the episode we filmed, and and it was literally two weeks after that where I was exchanging texts with Dan, and he was telling me about how well his puppy was doing, and we were talking about Millie and Junebug because I had recently been on a, a personal hunt with some friends. And then he... And in, in the text went something like this is, but I really need to stop down and appreciate Lucy. Lucy was six, I think, at the time. Um, she is just in her prime and doing wonderful things. And, and the, this time with your dog passes too quickly. And a week later, he sent me a text saying, I have to let you know that we just lost Lucy. I'm heartbroken. And I waited a while to get back to them. And um, they're still not exactly sure. She cardiac arrested, I think, is what happened. But um, my vet, Jim, because he worked with her, and I'll, I won't go through the whole stories. Um, initially, they thought it was caused by a, a BB, a single BB around her heart wall that maybe had happened on a, on a hunt he was on. Wow. But my vet thinks that that might have been an, an old injury and because he could not, upon inspecting her post-mortem, find an entrance wound or any type of wound on her. And so it could have been years ago. Yeah, and, that, um, and it just caused an arrhythmia or something that um, you know, caused a sudden heart attack. And after he had been in and out of the vet over three days and thought they were through the worst of it, she was back to being herself, it looked like. And he assumed it was from that hunt because they saw that in the x-ray. And um, she got up to greet his wife when she got home from work and and had a heart attack. So it was just a terrible story. Terrible. And thank, and on, if you take a glass half full approach, thank God he has that puppy. Is that the puppy named Junebug? Yeah. That's a really odd name. But he calls her Junie. Okay. Yeah. Jun- I was gonna say. Yeah, Junie. Mouthful. Yeah. Junebug over here. Yeah, he calls her Junie mostly when he's when he's hunting with her and stuff. 
It's kind of like Ronald is an odd name, and that's why we call you Ron. <laughs> I called him Ronnie no, one I time. I called him Ronnie one time. And I prefer Ron the Great. But, uh, <laughs> the Great, yes. Uh, well, your, your hunts, Scott, typically focus around your family and your dogs. And the second episode that you filmed, obviously, was no exception to that. Uh, the Hank Hunt. The Hank Hunt. called it. Yeah. Um, just give us a real quick review of what people can expect there. But then I want to ask you if you're going to do Hank Hunt number two. Okay. Well, let's, let's, so the, the, the title of the episode is a Hank Hunt. And I think listeners to the podcast will remember we put it out there and um, people could um, buy a hunt at the lodge. Um, Brown's, Brown's Lodge and Hunting Ranch. Yeah. Um, so people could, be a part of the hunt. We held it at Brown's. You were hosting it. I was hosting it. And they could be a part at, at Brown's Lodge and Hunting Ranch. And it was titled a Hank Hunt, but it was really just to celebrate hunting dogs. So, um, you know, Hank's a part of the story a little bit, but he's his passing was the reason to gather people of like mind. You know, um, bird hunters that like to get out, follow their dogs, hunt wild birds. Brown's Lodge and Hunting Ranch has a, Ron has hunted there and, and I hadn't, has just an unbelievable setup to chase wild pheasants and, and even sharp tails too. And, um, we saw all of them and, but the, the best part of it, Travis, is there was nine different hunters from five different States that arrived as strangers and left as friends. And that's what hunting trips should be about and usually are about. We'll leave it at that then and uh, let people enjoy that. I will say there's a big surprise in there and a lot of birds. A lot of birds. A lot of birds. A lot of birds. Ron might have even been able to hit one on that hunt. Mm. Oh, don't count on it. (laughs) (laughs) So we've got, let's see, I'm just looking at, I'm looking at kind of a rundown here. And um, we got Bill's Lake Superior Grouse. Got the um, Florida Snipe. We got the Outdoor Mentors Hunt. We have uh, the South Dakota Hunt with the Twins. We got the Hank Hunt, uh, Bird Dog's first hunt. Um, this week, actually, is our, our first episode, and it aired this morning. Mm-hmm. It airs again a couple more times. I hope you tune in and watch it. This hunt, uh, I went on to Montana for their Upland Opener, and that's always... September 1st is just one of those times where you might only get to go for an hour in the morning. The heat can really dictate. So you're, uh, you're hoping and praying. You drive all the way out there, and you can actually get out and hunt on September 1st. Uh, but the beauty of it is there's a lot of birds. There's young birds. The, um, the action on that hunt uh, was just it, – it reminded me kind of of your – pheasant hunt mm-hmm. in South Dakota. We were after sharp-tailed grouse and Hungarian partridge. We had some puppies along, but really just a do-it-yourself bird hunt on public lands. Let me, let me, let me ask, be a little devil's advocate here. Please. Uh, the season opens September 1st. Yeah. What, what drives you to think you have to be there for opening day facing that heat when you could go middle, middle to late September, be cooler and not have that heat issue? Well, I personally start working with my dog and, and running her as soon as I feel like the birds are old enough to fly away, you know. So I like to train with her. 
And I really want to maximize the entire hunting season. So we were looking at the forecast before we went out there and said, lows were going to be in the 50s and highs were in the 70s. One day it had 85 for a high, but we figured we would probably be done hunting by then anyway. So we thought, you know, if we can get out early in the morning. In Montana, you can start hunting a half an hour before sunrise. Not that we want to really um, work up the birds, but uh, you can get a good hunt in in the morning and beat the heat. So we, we went in with that approach on it. Um, I hunted the last day of the season in Minnesota, and I hunted in January down south. I just, for me, I, I feel like I need to get out, whether it's hunting or fishing, at least once a week. Otherwise, I start to get ornery. <laughs> My wife doesn't like me around. And if well, there's a hunting I, season open, I'm not I'm, even going to talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> but my point was yeah. uh, a lot of hunters seem to have this opening day itis idea. So they go out for the South Dakota opener, which is might be the worst time to go pheasant hunting in South Dakota. The crops are still out there, the corn's out there. Uh, the pheasants leave that grass early in the morning. They don't come back into it till dusk. And, but they think they, they hunters think they have to be there. This opening day itis when basically the better hunting is much later after the crops are out. And so you're just about killing. <laughs> yes. <laughs> to I, hell with tradition. Let's kill them. Yes. Well, there's also uh, the business side of this conversation, too. I mean, we look at our hunting season. It's pretty short, Ron. And um, yep. I, I've got a lot of hunts that I've got to fit into that. So I figure if I can start early and end late, I'm not gone for several weeks directly in a yeah, row. I'm not talking about people like yourself. I'm talking about the average I think the other part of that, though, Ron, yeah. is the tradition, the having a date on the calendar. And, and if you're chasing sharp-tailed grouse, um, those young birds are um, – more likely to hold earlier in the season. The same with the Huns. It, it, I guess I would liken it to you always hit the Minnesota walleye opener, which is usually the coldest, worst weather of the year, but you don't miss it. True. Um, and because you, you have that tradition. And, and I think hunting um, for a lot of us is whether it's an opening day or a trip during the season or a late season trip, especially with friends, it, it, makes a lot of sense that I'm going to go this week, come hell or high water, because this is what I've blocked out, too. Yeah, tradition is very important. I, I agree there. It's just that I think some some people, I'm just being generalizing here, but <laughs> they, they go to the opening a weekend of South Dakota pheasant scene, for example, uh, have, in case some cases, mediocre because of the, uh, the crops still out, blah, blah, blah. Uh, and that's the last they ever go. Where they they never do see that late the October late November time that's that the pheasants are concentrated now or the habitat is I mean and I I get it I mean I love bird hunting I'm gonna go even if there aren't any birds there okay go for it but if you're planning and you have a limited amount of time then think a little bit about what you're running into mm -hmm. yeah Travis. Yeah, Travis. I think if you watch the episode, Ryan, you might say the birds were there and ready for us. Where? Montana. Why no? <laughs> it was outstanding. I'm not saying it wasn't outstanding. <laughs> I know. I'm I know. You just got to think. You got to no. think a little bit more. Well, I, 
am <laughs> I'm thinking about trying to find another place to go on the opener again this year because I love it. I just <laughs> I love every single opener. Minnesota's fishing opener on the deer opener. I ju- those are two. They're blocked off every year on our family calendar. That's so China. amateur. That's so amateur. <laughs> My kids are coming with now. I think it's an important day. I mean, you can look back if, if we want to really get into this conversation. You can look back at a lot of lives that have been changed at opening day camp. You got the barrel. You got the bear opener. Yeah, you've got all these different openers, and it's the, the yeah the bear. Every day is a bear. I, I have opener. a question for Ron. Did it hurt, Ron? What? When you were swallowing that negative ass pill that you're <laughs> did it hurt when it went down? My goodness. <laughs> I'm not Jeez. being negative. I'm being practical. Practical. Okay, I can't Ryan. wait for deer opening weekend. It's going to be like 65, Ron. You yeah. can't hang a deer. Obviously, you're going to stay home. Yeah. <laughs> I think we need to go fishing after this, and I'm going to hook an, a fish on the end of your line and let you reel it in so you get that negativity out of your system. No, I'm just, I'm not he's, posing, he's posing a question. Yeah, just sure. be practical. Just think a little bit, would you? <laughs> yeah, think, Travis. Think. We don't really need to touch on the Colorado ptarmigan, other than I will say that I, I really, I, I want a rematch with that mountain, and it was, <laughs> it was spectacular. It was a place that I think if you watch it, you'll say, I want to do it if the opportunity ever comes up. It was a hell of an adventure, and I'm proud of. The fact that Troy was there for the whole thing, and he's super proud of, of that episode. Uh, hunted with Dylan Waller and Jim Millencipher. Scott, you've hunted with Jim. Ron, Ron you've too. hunted with Jim. Jim has told me the stories about hunting for ptarmigan up in the mountains for, like, I don't know how many years. And finally I said, well, then we better go do this. And then he claimed he was retiring while we were up there on the mountains. And now I've I'm come to find out he's texted me lately saying that he might not be retired anymore. Retired from what? Ptarmigan hunting up in the mountains. It hurts. It literally hurts to breathe up there. It's not. I believe it. It's not an easy thing. You start walking and you you go 50 feet and you're like, (sighs) guys, uh, what are you going to go? Like everybody is just huffing and puffing. You had to come up with your own pace that you could go. I'm I'm so sorry I missed that. (laughs) Here's a question for you, Travis, on that. The, the, I know the dogs that you were hunting with were uh, veterans of ptarmigan hunts, but did they act differently in that altitude? No. That's what was so surprising to me. They were still out there running, covering big grounds, um, and you'll see. Because the, the dogs show. are in shape. I know, but, but even. Yeah, true. <laughs> true. Were Travis, they flat? Travis is in pretty good shape. <clears throat> Thanks, Scott. Yeah. Thanks for noticing. And they were from uh, flatland dogs. I mean, they came yeah, from. Yeah, because Jim comes from Kansas. He grew up in Colorado hunting there his whole life, so he always goes back there. Dylan lives in Colorado, so he's in Denver, but frequents the mountains. And they had been up there hunting for dusky grouse earlier and some other mountain birds before we got there. Weather, you, you said it, Ron, weather. And that's really ultimately what what put us in uh, not ideal situations. Lightning uh, came in at 1.2, and you cannot be on top of that high of a mountain peak because you're literally in the clouds. Right. And they say if the light, like there was a couple of lightning bolts that hit the next mountain over, and he's like, we, you, you, he said you basically have to just get down and lay flat on the ground. Mm-hmm. So Because you're above tree line. Yeah, you're, so you're way, the tallest thing there. Yeah. Way up, up above there. So it's just... It's just uh, <laughs> 
like I, it's seared into my brain, some of the views and the blizzards that hit us and this, how slippery it was up on top of the mountains. That's one thing that I don't know that the camera really does justice to is just how slippery every step Those was and how it's a slide down. You know, it, unless it's a straight vertical slope on a TV camera, it's hard to really grasp that. Um, sometimes what you think is an extreme cliff the camera looks at it and it's like oh that's not that bad <laughs> you know but it really is and is that the only huntable population in the lower 48 of ptarmigan i want to say that colorado might be yeah yeah there's yeah. there's the white-tailed ptarmigan in colorado there's three species in alaska but the white-tailed ptarmigan is the only ptarmigan in the, in the lower, lower 48. 48 right yeah yep. and it's the only bird species that lives exclusively above tree line what it's do they it, taste it, like You'll have to watch the show to find okay. out. The Onyx Hunt app is one of the most valuable hunting tools that I take into the field every day. I talk about the Onyx Hunt app every week. That's simply because I use it on every hunt. Seriously, every hunt. Their app tells me everything that I need to know about the land that I want to hunt and the lands that we can all legally hunt on. If you've used it yourself, then you know that the Onyx app shows your location on planet Earth and clearly lays out the land boundaries. It also tells you information about the type of property you're on, like state-owned land, federal lands, and walk-in access properties. It's ideal for scouting before the hunt and during the hunt to help put together patterns. The app also has helpful features that show you the kind of crops that are in the fields, which obviously is a big deal for us upland bird hunters. These are just a few of the many tools Onyx Maps give you, and these maps can even be used in areas without cell coverage. From the palm of your hand, Onyx Maps always help you to know where you stand. Waltons, what can I say? They are the ultimate online store for everything you need to prepare and cook your meat. From wild game to pork and beef, they've got you covered. Their tagline is everything but the meat for a reason. A few weeks ago, they launched a new website to make your online shopping experience even easier. Waltons.com has over 5,000 items on their site in stock and ready to ship the same day. I went to their site the other day to purchase jerky seasoning for my son's big old gobbler. I found the seasoning I wanted, plus barbecue sauce, a new thermometer, steak seasonings, gloves, and a handful of other items. There's so much to choose from. It's just incredible. From grinders, mixers, stuffers, slicers, smokers, vacuum sealers, seasonings, and so much more. They also host their own podcast called Meatgistics and host live stream videos and chats to help you make the most of your cooking experience. Check them out at waltons.com. I also hunted with Upland, Alligator. Upland Cowboys, they call themselves. It's a three three buddies that um, they they kind of hunt all over the country on horseback. They're super cool dudes. We hunted the Sandhills of Nebraska, Matt Frugier, Grant Notkin, and Aaron Martin. That that was one of those hunts where the it was an eye-opening experience for me because the Sandhills, if you guys have seen them in Nebraska, are I didn't picture it being so the topography being so extreme and, and beautiful and just like the sheer vastness of that prairie out there. Pretty cool. Um, I'll just sum up the rest of mine. You know, I, I did a three-day road trip through Minnesota, Iowa, your home state, Ron, and South Dakota. Kind of hunted a day in each state and uh, hunted with Tim Brown, and he was an exceptional host. And we, we did run into a lot of birds. We also ran into... 50-mile-an-hour winds, and then snow. And I think that is okay because, as, you know, I learned when I started producing with you guys that 
the, the weather is part of the show, and it should be, and you don't need to pretend like it's not throwing your game off a little bit. So we, we hunted through a lot of the elements there. Uh, we did an episode in North Dakota, the Schwinn family, who we have discussed multiple times. Um, Hunter, his dad, Block and Rob, Noah and Jordan, uh, they, they won the, the Pheasants Forever online auction again for the second year. They were the highest bidder, and this one was a, was a week in North Dakota. And obviously, we all know how I feel about North Dakota. Scott, you know how I feel about North Dakota, too. So that's an exciting episode. And then I closed it out in Arizona. Uh, th- there are hunters that call it the Arizona Upland Slam. It's the three quail species. Ron, you, you've you experienced the, the rush of the covey flush in Arizona. It, 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 that Arizona quail hunting is my favorite hunt from hell. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Wow. Yeah. It, it, uh, you know, we talk about the ugly, the good, the bad, the ugly. We experienced it all on just one day there. And I've broken this down before in that some of the most incredible dog work on coveys of Mern's quail in the mountains, just spectacular images in the canyons and coveys erupting. And then all of a sudden we're on our way. We just wrap it up. Cameraman takes a big stick to the eye. He's, Ouch. He's bleeding. We're on our way back almost to the truck, and Tyler Webster's walking in front of me, and I'm right behind him. And he yells, no, just as I'm about to step on a rattlesnake oh. that was coiled up. And I, and I yours mean, was like, not dead. Sounds like another this, wonderful I know, experience. Yeah, exactly. You know, Bill, you said, oh, they're, they're not out this time. That's what everybody else says, too, until all of a sudden one's out, which really changed my view i think moving forward i had the two days prior snake gaiters on that i wear when i'm in snake country i wore them specifically to allow me to not get tore apart by all the needles on the cactuses as i'm walking through not to protect me from snakes so then when we're in Mern's country we're not in there's not needles up there in the canyons it's it's just beautiful golden grass and live oaks they're called and so i didn't wear them that day which turned out to be I mean, a step away. Yeah, <laughs> a mm. step away. So the, it it was a. I think I think that'll be you know our last episode of the season. We remind me to never go hunting with any of you. <laughs> I know, I How about know. me, Bill? I'm fun. <laughs> you are fun. <laughs> I'm fun and safe. Yeah, and safe. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I don't step on snakes. You can't mess with me because you can't find any quail. <laughs> <laughs> Can I add one some add something to? Um, this year's episodes, yeah. um, from the ones that I have seen, I've probably seen half of them so far. Um, and, and every year, I think our shooters do a phenomenal job in the field. I, I think this might be our best year ever of... Shooters, uh, meaning our photojournalists. Our, our photojournalists, yep. yeah, of capturing the essence of the hunt. Uh, you know, you talked about the mountain scenes, tights on birds getting up at people's feet or dogs. It's... They really knocked the ball out of the park this year. And the edits are phenomenal as well. But the some of the filming that they did in the field is uh, things that we just haven't seen. And we, we've got birds getting up on drones and things this year. That was unreal. Uh, the, right before the cameraman took the needle to the eye, he, as we were walking, he was behind us 20 feet. We're heading back in. And he goes, uh, guys, there's one right here. And there was a, a male Mern's quail because they're a tight-holding bird. We walked right by it, and it was it was a hot day, so the dog went by it, didn't smell it, 
And they're not big. I mean, it's a quail sitting in knee-high grass. And he goes, guys, there's one right here. And he zooms in and goes slow-mo on this little quail. We come around the dog, you know, locks up. Event, You know, we're like, what? No way. A dog locks up. And he's like, yep, it's right there. Wow. And this thing gets up in slow motion. And it's like, you, Tyler and I, we're like, you cannot make it up. You yep, just cannot yep. make that up. That's the other thing that's important to talk about. We're not faking it. Mm-hmm. We take cameras out. We bust our tails to document legitimate real-life hunts, the good, the bad, the ugly. And when somebody sends that email accusing us of making it up or all the pen-raised birds, I tend to fire back a little bit. We work hard to document hunts that everyone is on. Second part, public land hunts, right? So much of what we do is public land. We're just trying to show people a little corner of the world that maybe they haven't thought about. Mm-hmm. Sure. But most of these are accessible by just about anyone. Yeah, you just have to want it. Just <laughs> you takes a little just bit have to effort. want it. Yep, exactly. I think, Scott, we'll let that uh, transition into this next little uh, listener question. So we posted a couple of social media video and I think a question Anna did. And most of it was just comments saying, we're excited for this season. So maybe we didn't voice the, the, the post very well, um, but <clears throat> we did get a few questions. Most of it was just like, heck yeah, I love the show. Uh, so we love hearing that. We're glad for that. Uh, but a few of them said, the show is set apart because of the real adventures you go on and the incredible videography that, that the guys capture. So That's awesome. Yeah, they're, they're seeing the same thing too. And then a couple of people, they do, believe it or not, Ron, they do like you. No. Yeah. And the and you, Scott and and Bill. That's my second fan. <laughs> yes, exactly. So uh we do have a couple questions. Ron, is it true that Travis Frank is off camera shooting all the birds while you're hunting to make you look good? Yes, it is true. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I added that one myself. Uh, <laughs> Andy Dillinder says, Love the show and the D. YI, I think you meant to say DIY, do it yourself hunts. What does this season look like in South Dakota, North Dakota, and Montana? Well, Andy, we're going to get into that. We've touched on it a little bit already, so I don't know that we need to dwell on that any further. But does anyone have anything they want to add to those three states? Go ahead, Bill. I do. I'm just the voice of reason here. There were a couple of big blizzards. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And at this point, they're not sure how it's impacting the birds. It sounds like... Huns and Sharpies got through those storms fairly well. I've heard some questions about pheasants and a few little pockets. Yeah, I think it's that's going to be a real pockety area. I think my my uh, conversations over the last couple of months since that was that the the net positive is going to outweigh the yes. loss from it because yes. of the because moisture of the that water. was needed. Yeah. Yes. Of the moisture. You're talking yep. North Dakota? Correct. Yep. Yep, that, the, remember those massive in South Dakota and, and into Montana, yeah, yep. pockets of Montana. Montana. Yep, uh, but overall, I've been hearing from people out in the fields that say they're just watching pheasants running everywhere right now, That's so they're wonderful. not worried at all about what really happened there. What if I would jump in too on that, Travis? I think the odds of us filming in North Dakota, South Dakota, South Dakota, Montana are are very very high, just sure. because it's the pheasant belt, or the bird belt, and yep. we we got to. You know, we do have to show some birds too. Yep, so yep. Edgar Castillo 
asked, you guys coming back to Kansas? Maybe. Maybe. I'd love to go to Kansas. Yeah. yeah. The thing I that's what, what I love about Kansas is we can go film there in January. Right. And and that really just extends our season that much more. I've got a, I've got a hunt idea for Kansas on my list. So I think, Edgar, there's a very good chance we're coming down. Uh, Tony Vandemore, is there a limit on how hot it gets that makes you say it might be too much for the dogs? I hunt a heavy-coated black lab and know the limitations, but it can heat up out west. So, Ron, that gets back to what you mentioned earlier with the heat and what I mentioned when we were in Montana for their opener. Um, we're always, always... Uh, looking ahead at where we're at, what can we do to maximize our time in the field? When is it a point that we say, nope, we're, we're coming out? Uh, ultimately, everyone that has their own dogs know their own dogs, and we, uh, we don't push it. I think is well. That's a good question. And despite the fact that you all ridiculed me for bringing <laughs> this up, <clears throat> none of you have lost a dog to heat stroke, which I have, and it was an opening in South Dakota, and uh, I had a black lab, wonderful female named Kyla, and uh, she was the only dog in this group, and uh, we ran into, right off the bat, ran into a covey of pheasants, and uh, so the pheasants flying all over, shotguns going all, all over, and she's trying to pick up what pheasants that she sees fall, and when she brings them back, now she's panting pretty good. It was right off the bat. So, But now we're all right. We're lined up. We're going to march through this uh, switchgrass um, CRP ground. And she's out there quartering like she's trained to do. And then suddenly uh, she's walking behind me. Go, oh, okay. And she's, anyway, further down, she's not walking behind me anymore. She's laid down. She doesn't want to go anymore, so I stop, and uh, not much you can do out there, but we brought a vehicle in, which was very dangerous because we could have started a fire, but uh, I couldn't carry the dog out that far, so we brought a vehicle in, put her in the back um, of the pickup. Uh, drove, one of the guys knew there was a ranch nearby with a pond. We put her in that pond halfway, so uh, her head's out of the water, of course, and her body's in the pond, and uh, she laid there for the longest time. And then finally, um, she got up. I uh, carried her, put her in the back of the pickup truck, rode with her back to town. We both got in the shower to clean up. We were both muddy, got in the shower to clean up. And uh, um, I had to go to a banquet that night, so she's in the motel room. And I talked to her, but... Her, her tail didn't wag and her eyes were blank and uh, and but she was laying there looking at me and I come back after the banquet I tried to give her some 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 uh, what do you call it some water with the electrolytes electrolytes yeah wouldn't didn't want to drink anything anyway came back after the banquet she's still laying there and I looked at her and I said something to her and again no tail wagging no nothing. So I go go to bed and, and wake up in the morning. I feel uh, down next to me. She's laying right next to me on the floor, dead in a doornail. So uh, that's what heat strokes can do. So uh, I don't remember how hot it got, but I would just say that heat is something that any dog owner uh, should uh, should be 
concerned about. Now, a pointer guy, you're much, you're much better there, and that is pointers don't have the extra layer of fatty tissue that a lab does. That's why a lab can swim in ice cold water or, or golden retriever or whatever without, uh, like it's a July day where a pointer is not so anxious to get in that cold water, but a pointer can run in heat uh, where a lab is not so apt to do so. Yeah, and I, I think there's still a lot that I'm learning and will continue to learn, and sometimes those kind of life lessons really alter your decisions. I will say, for me, running into now multiple rattlesnakes out west, I don't, but they've been out when they're not supposed to be out. That's the thing, too. And I don't want to be anywhere near that situation during the heat of the day, so really trying to plan around the heat with that said, when we were in Montana, there was somebody in the small town that we were staying in that had lost a dog on that trip. And the dog got out, ran for 10 minutes, 10 minutes before, it was the day before opener, and just showed no signs and just dropped dead. Was it hot that day? No. Hmm. No, it wasn't. It was, I mean, it wasn't overly hot it wasn't 90 or anything it was you know 70s but like that would be like you going out to take your dog for a run around mm -hmm. the yard right now scott or me and the dog just just dropping there so well dog conditioning is very important as well before you know any type of hunting and especially the, that opening day and that's a whole nother topic you can get into on the podcast probably but it's um sometimes um you know, someone hasn't done much conditioning prior to their first hunt or something with their dog, whatever that may be, and they get out that first hunt and, and it can cause problems. Yeah. Yeah, so I think maybe, you know, Tom asks, you know, when do you make that decision? If you're wondering, if you're doubting it or you're questioning it, you probably don't go. Right. You know, if you're if you're on the fence, don't do it. And that's probably the the best way to... Give that advice when you the say same it. for cold too. You know, you can't, it's not just heat. Um, if it's below zero and you're out hunting, you, you know, that can affect your dog as well. And you know, they can get frostbite. Yeah. Probably six years ago, we did a hunt in North Dakota early December and they had just got hammered with snow. And then it was just wind and brutal temperatures. The highs were 15 degrees below zero for a high. And we took the dogs out for the first run. And we did the put the stuff on their paws mm -hmm. to protect them. And we went for a 20-minute hunt in a small little patch and came back. And we're like, the dogs are not going back out there. They're we, done. We continued, and we just walked it without dogs on that to, again, we're out there. I, I got to come home with a TV film show. Yeah. yeah, otherwise you're going to fire me. <laughs> Jerk. No. <I'd> <laughs> <laughs> Bill's hands raised. I'm kidding about that. Next time. I'm yeah. <laughs> Bill. Where's lunch? It's coming. It's coming. <laughs> a couple more questions here, and then we'll wrap it up. Uh, here, the long-running success of the flush can be credited to great videography, the ability to tell a compelling story and show hosts that you can just tell are great people. Thanks, Adam Schellinger. The public land angle is huge, too. Real uplanders want to watch real hunts for wild birds, even if that means less kills on camera, Ron. Yeah. Fewer. Yeah, looking forward to the new season. Fewer, not less. <laughs> Thanks, Adam. Appreciate <laughs> it. Uh, gosh. Um, here's one. We'll, we'll just send it on this one here. Steve McGillicuddy Austin, if that's your real name, awesome name. <laughs> but uh, I would love to see or hear podcast perspectives from professional trainers and amateurs on dogs in the field versus dogs in a trial. 
I try all my dogs and spend lots of time training and allowing them to be dogs. But when we go to the field or I watch the flush, I see dogs breaking at the flush. Trust me, I allow this too. Or while dogs honor, they may not honor the retrieve and fuss with and try to take the prize from retrieving the dog. How do the pros feel about this? Or do they have the meat dogs and trial dogs? I love the hunt and only trial to develop genetics, etc. cetera. Um, I, I would say to that, we hunt with a lot of dogs and a lot of people. And some dogs are trialers. Some dogs are just unbelievably well-trained. And some dogs get out a couple times a year. Um, it's, it's a situation where that's always kind of gray area, would you say? You I know, think there are two very different worlds at play there. The right? trial dogs and the training dogs, yes. But I think, you know, when they, they're watching the show and they see a dog break on another dog's point or go grab the bird and bring it back from a different that's dog. That's reality. That's the reality for probably 95% of hunters in the country. Yes. And I also think, to your point, is <clears throat> we're hunting with people we've never hunted with. And, and, and so we're, um, you know, a little bit of a slave to whatever happens in the field with their dogs. We're going to show what's happening. And, um, what I would say for my own dogs as an amateur trainer, um, I am never going to stop them from breaking on a bird that's up. I want that. If if that bird goes down, I've seen too many birds lost, um, on a dog holding until it's down and things like that. Even really good dogs. So um, I, I'm not going to stop that. I will stop my dog from encroaching on another dog's retrieve, 100%, or my flushing dog um, breaking on someone's pointy dog. And what I've and we've done this, Travis. We've hunted together. I said, do you want Millie to flush the bird if Daisy's on point? And you said, well, no, I'm working with her on that. I said, okay, I got it. Then, yeah, because I had to break her of right. that habit by all these other dogs that she's on this beautiful point. She's still a puppy. There's a covey right in front of her, and another dog comes flying in and flushes the covey out. Right. And she thinks, that's what we're supposed to do, Dad. So now i got to break my pointer. So I ask. Flush- when yes. I'm hunting yeah, my exactly. flusher with a pointer, I yeah. ask, and everybody's a little bit different on that. But on the, And I get why on the field trial they have to do it a certain way, but I just don't want to lose nope. a bird that shot. Right. Now, there's a difference. You know, there's the, the, the field trial – and I used to do field trialing, and so uh, you you do need that absolute control, no breaking, et cetera. And then if you take that same dog and and go hunting where these rules aren't there, uh, you can have a setback because. Right. But now you know AKC then started what's called the hunter test, which is more like hunting, and they did that for that uh, reason, so that it's not this strict. Um, uh, requirement but i bet your lab if you're duck hunting you don't want the dog breaking out there so you you have that ingrained in the dog to to sit and so it's it's just different situations but i think if you're a hardcore field trialer you're probably not going to take that dog hunting because it's going to screw it up a little screw bit, it up a little bit yeah. anyway but the, that's why the hunter test is i think hunter test is great for you know somebody who just wants to Another reason to use your dog in the summertime, right? Whatever, and um, and it's still, like I said, like a hunter test. So. Yeah, I mean it's it's its own season for a lot of people. Keeps them keeps them out in the field. Keeps them working with their dogs. I have friends that are 
in trials. You know, they've been trialing all spring and summer too, and um, their dogs just keep on excelling in those areas. And you know, so there's there's a lot of different hunters that we that you will see on our TV shows. So it's to Stephen's question, you will see dog work that is not exceptional or not ideal, not what you would want, not what somebody else in the field might not want. Not by the book. Not by the book necessarily, but sometimes when people want only have a short amount of time to hunt, they want their dog out there yeah. too. And when we're out there, I don't think I've ever said, don't bring your dog. Never. It to somebody that wanted to bring their dog no. with too, which maybe I should have at certain times. I don't know. Ron, have you ever? Uh, I've suggested once more, if that dog keeps doing what it's doing, it might have to go back to the car. Yeah. That, yeah. Yes. Try yeah. to be tactful. Cause I yeah. get it. Yeah. I get it. But um, think about those labs that get out front and they're flushing birds out a hundred yards, you know? Right. Yeah. There have been times where we've said, maybe that dog needs to take a break and they know. Right. Right. Yeah. They know. Exactly. Yeah. But the best piece of bird advice, bird dog advice I ever got, I think have a dog that can find birds. Period. Yep. Period. And what, I've always appreciated that. Yeah. What are you guys? We're, we're way longer than I thought we would go with this conversation. <laughs> Brandon's nodding. Uh, let's let's just real short. Ryan, Brandon, wake you up. You've got something exciting going on right now. You you just had uh, Howard Vincent in in the office here, and you were talking to him about this project that you're that you've been working on. Can you share? Um. Oh, the oh yeah. Um, well, uh, if anybody knows my television career, it was all surrounded with Black Labs, Raven. There was three of them. Uh, uh, they lasted for 24 years on television, the three, all mother-daughter. They're all gone now. Um, and so we're doing a Raven memorial show because Pheasants Forever provided a beautiful monument, a granite monument, that has now been placed out at a wildlife area in Minnesota uh, that uh, the original Raven helped raise money for. So uh, Howard Vincent of uh, Fens Forever was uh, talking to him and, and used some of his interview in this story because uh, uh, they, Fens Forever, were very grateful for the pheasants. Um, the three dogs raised close to a million dollars based on number of a figure from Fens Forever, not mine, and uh, and they donated the uh, granite monument, which is sitting out uh, at a place called the Two Rivers Wildlife Area, um, west of Lamberton, Minnesota. If anybody wants to see it, which is open video? open for public hunting. It is, and, yeah. and the Bird fact watching. that that those three ravens raised over a million dollars for habitat is phenomenal. Unbelievable. That's unbelievable, Ron. Yeah, and. Um, Anyway, um, uh, that's that's what this. What does that mean to you to have that name on that plaque out there? First and foremost, every Tuesday, Thursday, and Friday is Ron Cherry Exclusive Day. <laughs> <laughs> so it's sort of public, semi-public. I like that idea. <laughs> I should have wrote that in the contract. <laughs> oh, you know, it's very gratifying. It happened over twenty-four years, and and. Um, what and you know just having the dog with me to for the Minnesota Bound TV show with a red bandana was all an accident, etc. And so uh, it kind of all melts together. What what you fail to realize, and all of you in the TV business 
uh, we have the same problem. Um, <laughs> no, we don't. <laughs> uh, maybe not you, Bill. Uh, you you lose sight, or you have no sense of how many people are watching you because you're just looking into a camera, and and after a while, as you're going around, you go somebody you've never met stop you at the Dairy Queen or whatever and say, hey, I've been watching you for years. Thanks for all the stories you do. You go, hmm, I didn't know. You don't know. And um, so I, I had no idea, really, the extent that Raven touched people's lives. Uh, but she, they certainly did. These dogs did. And, uh, and you still get asked yeah. every day. Where's Raven? Where's Raven? Some people miss the story where they all they're all gone. I, they're in heaven. So it's been a year and a half since Raven passed. It's been a couple of years now. A couple of years now. Yeah, the last Raven. Yeah, still the last. Yeah, there's no. I like you know. I'll tell the story. Then we got to hang this up. I mean. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. When I after the after the uh, last Raven passed away, she was like thirteen. And um, just went quietly. But um, thank God for that. You know, the worst thing you can do is have to put your dog into a vehicle and take him to the vet and say, this is your last day, and you don't even know it. Um, uh, but anyway, after she was gone, and I walked up the driveway to pick up the newspaper that one morning, and it dawned on me. That's the first time I've walked up my driveway to get the newspaper for umpteen years without a dog with me. So I went back in the house and I told my wife, I said, you know what? I think I'm going to have to get a puppy. She looked at me and she said, if you get a puppy, you're going to have to get a new wife too. So I go, oh. Did you say, let me think about it? <laughs> I did. I said, let me think about it. So well, I've been getting well, Ron's newspaper for a year and a half now, which is a long drive from well, my place. In, in my wife's defense, we've had labs in our family for 50 years. Wow. And she says, let's take a break. So, Got it. Well, we respect that. And we love Denise. And we're glad that she's still with you. <laughs> yes. Uh, I was going to ask about this season, but Ron has graced us with more of his presence than he's already wanted to. So we'll wrap this up right now. Uh, I'll just say this. We're planning now for next season, for the hunts that we will be going on, maybe September 1st, maybe November 1st, maybe December 1st. We don't know, but we know that we're looking for places that you want to watch us hunt and people like you to hunt with. If you have a place and an idea for a television show, this is your invitation to send it to us. We want to hear from you and we want your ideas. Um, you can go to our, any of our social media pages. Theflush.tv is our website. Otherwise, just search The Flush TV on Instagram and Facebook. Send us a message. I will get the messages. And who knows? We might hunt together this fall, or maybe Bill will come out, or maybe Scott, or maybe Ron. I'm not sure. Maybe Brandon. Brandon, you in? He's in. Thumbs up over there. All right. All we do know is that we have a new season, and it's airing right now on the Outdoor Channel. We want to thank all the sponsors that help us to make it possible to make these television shows and keep them on the air. And um, if you're still listening at this point, Walton's has a free Camp Chef Woodwind Grill they're giving away this month. 
I've had a Camp Chef grill for uh, the last couple of years, a woodwind, and it's amazing how much it has upped my, my grilling game. We're in grilling season right now. So if you go to waltons.com and on the top of their page, you'll see a, a thing that says win, and uh, you can win the grill this month. And it ends the last day of June, and then they'll have another giveaway next month. But my goodness, who doesn't want a sweet, sweet pellet, uh, pellet grill? So anyway... That's all I've got for the for this episode. I have several more coming up in the coming weeks. I'm excited to bring all of them. Hope you enjoy the new season of The Flush. We'll be back next week with another episode of The Flush Podcast. <laughs>